Welcome again to the Apologist Bookshelf. Gary Zacharias here. I'm going back for another look at a book called Raised on the Third Day, uh, subtitled Defending the Historicity of the Resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I am such a fan of the Shroud of Turin, at least the investigation into it. I, I'm probably leaning toward the authenticity of it, but I just find anything that's a, a mystery like this fascinating. And uh, so in this one chapter, it's called The Image on the Shroud, A Best Explanations Approach by Mark Foreman. And uh, I, I think it's just uh, so interesting. He says, when you approach the idea of, you know, the authenticity of the shroud, is that really the burial cloth of Jesus? He said there are two major questions. One, is there enough evidence? That'd be, you know, historical or medical, scientific, uh, textile evidence. Is there enough evidence that it's a genuine article? And then secondly, and this is the part of what, that this chapter is going to talk about, is what's the best explanation for how the image was formed? And they, he says uh, the only evidence that is pointing to it being inauthentic is something he did in 1988. They did some carbon-14 tests, so he's going to cover that a little bit later on. So he's going to focus this chapter on what theory best explains how the image was formed. He gives a little bit of background first that uh, the first photographs were taken in 1898, and now you can see that it's a negative image, so they saw that. And then the, occasionally the shroud was being publicly displayed. They did some more serious scientific investigation in 1978, but in 1988 they allowed a sample of it to be cut for some C14 uh, testing. And... Um, he says, uh, let, let's go to some basics about the shroud. So he says the shroud is just a long cloth that's wrapped around a corpse in preparation for the burial. And then you wrap this person who died in the shroud, and you buried him in the ground with no coffin. Well, for the Jews, they would put him in a temporary grave like a small cave, let the body decay for about a year. Then they could open the cave up and the bones were put in an ossuary for a permanent burial. Well, since 1578, there's been this shroud in Turin, Italy. It's 14 feet, 6 inches long, and 3 feet wide. Well, almost 4 feet wide. It has an image of a man on it that has a lot of things that seem pretty close to what happened to somebody who got crucified. And actually, a lot of the features seem very close to what Jesus was said to have gone through. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. There, are, Let's see, how many of them are there? There are 24. So what he's going to do is, is rattle off these 24 characteristics that you can see in the shroud and then try to figure out, so how did these come about? So it's a 5-inch, uh, so I won't tell you what numbers they are, I'll just rattle these things off. So it's a 5-inch, a 5-foot, 10-inch male, and it's uh, no distortions. <clears throat> the image is high resolution. There's a state of rigor mortis. There's a puncture wound in the right wrist. The left wrist is hidden from view. There's scourge wounds on the chest, legs, and back. It looks like uh, what would be caused by a Roman flagrum. There are puncture wounds in the scalp and head. A wound in the right side, some kind of stabbing. Puncture wound around the feet. One nail seems to have gone through both feet. Blood surrounds the wrist and scalp wounds, and it looks like blood flowing up the arms, which you would notice if somebody was on a cross and had the hands up fairly high and the blood would come down toward the uh, armpit. The face appears to have been beaten. 
The hair is long, apparently tied in the back. There are abrasions on the nose and knees, like uh, somebody falling down. And on one side, you got abrasions uh, on the shoulders, like carrying a heavy object. And the image is a negative image. And then there's some scorch marks on it and holes and some patches that were done because there was a fire in 1532. And they patched it in 1534. The linen, uh, the linen in the cloth is a herringbone weave that's consistent with a first century weave pattern. All right, what else have they found? Well, the image is a superficial image. In other words, just on the very topmost fibers, not all the way down through the linen. So I think that's fascinating. The image has 3D information, no distortion. When it's laid flat, the image actually has vertical mapping. So it's uh, corresponding to the direction of gravity, they said. The blood was AB. There are no brush strokes, so it doesn't look like the blood was painted on. The image, and this is crucial, the image doesn't have any pigments, no dyes, no brush strokes, no cementation between the fibers, no clumping, no capillary flow, if you had ended up trying to paint it or dye it or stained it. says it's a dead human body, showed no sign of decomposition, no putrefaction. And when placed under enhanced lighting, this is amazing, an x-ray is produced which shows bones, especially in the fingers of the hands and the feet. All right, well, so... Here's the deal here. Uh, it, it's a superficial image on there, so you got to keep that in mind. And it says the photograph uh, actually created a 3D image. So some kind of 3D information was encoded into this shroud. And he says, all right, now we're down to two options. Either it was a natural process or it was man-made. So he talks about the, the early naturalistic theories. So what do you get if you, if you got a dead corpse? Uh, Maybe they said that the body was wet with sweat, embalming oils, and other liquids, and the shroud came into contact with it, and it would stick to that uh, shroud, and it would leave a stain. But that got abandoned. There were just too many distortions with this theory. It doesn't work. Uh, it would be too distorted, but the image doesn't have any distortions. All right, here's another hypothesis. Maybe the beaten and crucified corpse would emit some kind of vapors like uh, ammonia, you know, in sweat and blood, and that might have caused the image. But chemical tests found no evidence of this at all. All right, there goes that. Um, then, of course, they did that C-14 dating, and they came up with a dating of around 1300. So they say, well, there you go. It's a forgery. It's got to be man-made. So now we're into the man-made theories. And, of course, the most popular has been it was a painting. That's the most popular theory of how the image came on there. And it's come down through history. Some claim that maybe it was da Vinci that did that. But he's pointing out if you're going to go with this painting hypothesis, it's got serious problems because of those facts that I rattled off. The shroud is a negative image. Where would a medieval artist get the idea of coming up with a negative image? And they've done hundreds of chemical and spectrometry spectrometry tests on this image, but they haven't found any substance. It can't account for the superficiality of the image with the painting. The painting, it would soak through the fibers, but it's nothing that's soaked through. It's just on the top edge of the of the fibers. How do you get blood on the shroud? It's real blood. The painting's not going to do that. Uh, and how do you get the x-ray images if you're painting something? Okay, so some people say, all right, maybe not painting. What about this? What if you took a linen cloth, maybe you soaked it first, and you put it on a metal image, and you 
you uh, the linen got scorched because you made you made that metal image hot. And it said it would have some of the features that the shroud had. It would have a negative image, but it doesn't do a lot of those other things that we just talked about here. You wouldn't get the X-ray features. It wouldn't account for the blood stains. And so there goes that idea. Well, here's another idea, that it was a camera obscura technique. Now, I don't know if uh, I had to look that up and check on it, but what you do, it's a simple technique. It's what you use when you view a solar eclipse, for example, with a pinhole box projector that projects an image to a white piece of paper so you're not looking directly at the sun. So somebody said, how about this? You have a life-size sculpture of a body in bright sunlight, and you focus it through a lens, and that conveys the image to a linen cloth that you cover with silver nitrate, like the old photography, and you put that in a dark chamber. And you do get some of the images of the shroud, some of the features. But one problem is nobody did this in medieval times. They've never found any example of this. And then, again, it's a superficial coating on the very outside of the linen. It doesn't soak all the way through, but they say if you put silver nitrate on there, that's liquid, and that's going to soak it right on through and it doesn't account for blood on the cloth. It doesn't account for 3D information. It doesn't account for those x-ray features. All right, so here's another candidate for a man-made way of getting the uh, shroud. It uses sunlight as well. So what you do is you heat a cloth and you lay it out in the sunlight, so you're kind of aging it. And then you have painted glass of different shades placed between the cloth and the sunlight. Now that painted cloth is going to cast a uh, shadow on the cloth itself and it says one wonders how a medieval forger would even conceive of coming up with something like that and it doesn't count for that superficiality doesn't account for the x-rays doesn't account for the blood for the 3d information so there goes that one so he said well there's the radiation hypothesis he says this seems to be so if you take away the natural processes and you take away the man-made ideas here's where he's going to land he calls it the radiation hypothesis. And he says um, somehow the shroud was irradiated with particle radiation. And that occurs when protons and neutrons are emitted from atoms. And when protons irradiate cellulose, which is in the linen, it turns into a straw yellow color, which is the color of the image that's on the shroud. And so energy somehow, at least this is his theory and others, was added to the cloth in a powerful burst of radiation somehow so that there was some kind of electron bonding going on. Well, where would the radiation come from? The body. That's the only place it can come from. So radiation, he says, has the benefit. It explains how the image was formed, and it also explains all those features that I gave you uh, earlier in this podcast. And it, it would explain why the C14 dating was skewed when that was... Uh, uh, came out with a date of like 1300. In a burst of radiation, you get neutrons that get emitted, and then the neutrons explain why the C14 dating is off. Okay, so it's going to produce something cockeyed that way. In fact, even the scientists who were involved in that original C14 dated, dating acknowledged that that radiation would have significantly altered the date of the shroud and invalidated all that, radi all that uh, dating. So... He says, as at present at least, it's scientifically unexplainable how that body could release radiation. So he knows he's not saying this is proof of the resurrection, but something very, very strange happened. And then as he wraps up the chapter, we're at the end of the chapter here, he said, 
I believe a plausible and reasonable argument can be made that the best explanation for the identity of the shroud is that it's the actual burial cloth of Jesus. And of course, he says, uh, somebody says, well, so. And uh, he said, but he said, for a healthy skeptic, he said, I think the evidence for the shroud would have at least some positive effect. I mean, it does seem to tie into the gospel account. So that would take somebody back to read the gospel. So that would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, he said the shroud is really not necessary to support the truth of any aspect of Christianity. But he says, uh, if it is authentic, its greatest apologetic value is that it confirms the gospel accounts of the events surrounding the passion of Jesus. And at the end, and I guess this is about all we can do here, is that at the end, you're going to have questions and mysteries remaining, some of which never may be answered. Um, which is frustrating, but that's kind of the fun of a good mystery, isn't it? All right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon.